everybody. Welcome back to another I've Got Questions podcast as we continue on our post-LobsterCon journey and talking to the players there, gathering the experiences, gathering the knowledge. And I am your travel guide for this. My name is William Hurst, as always. And today, we have the pleasure of talking to the one and only Peter Smits, who played Goblins to a top eight finish and had one of, it sounds like, the longest top eight matches I've heard of and most intricate ones that I've heard of that we hope to get into today. So, Peter, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, doing really well. Happy to be talking about LobsterCon. Happy to be here. Um, it was a good day. I mean, it, it had to have been a good day, uh, and congratulations on the finish. Um, my top two picks for the event as far as winning decks were blue white and goblins those are the ones i actually thought were well positioned so i'm happy to see both of those in the top eight but before we jump into the experience can you let anybody who is not familiar with you know kind of your basic um journey into magic and then how you found your way to pre-modern yeah yeah happy to so um probably like a lot of people in the format um magic was part of my childhood uh i remember being really young, getting uh, Fallen Empires packs from like the video store that stocked them locally. Uh, I'm from central New Jersey. Uh, and so, yeah, there was a lot of like buying little packs like Fallen Empires because it was so cheap. Then I got like a little bit of Ice Age and some Mirage. And then around Wrath Cycle, um, really started playing the game, uh, both like understanding the rules and trying to make better decks. And played pretty consistently through uh, Invasion Block um, and kind of started not playing as much Magic around Odyssey and uh, Torment. Uh, that was about the time I was actually playing a different card game uh, called Shadow Fist. But I, that was about when I kind of stopped playing Magic. And then I came back to I always kind of followed the storyline after that. I always thought the art was cool and the story at least wasn't terrible most of the time. And so came back to magic around 2019 when I discovered pre-modern and I reached out to my brother who had played with me kind of all through childhood and actually kept playing through like Kamigawa Ravnica um, and was, and played really well. And in 2019 found out about pre-modern reached out to him. It's like, Hey, you still have your cards. I don't have anything. But this looks like a format that is pretty fun and nostalgic. Why don't we make some decks and play it like Christmas or whatever? Because uh, we currently don't live near each other. I live on the West Coast. My brother lives on the East Coast. My brother's James. And uh, so we're like, okay, well, when we meet up for Christmas, let's play. And then we played a couple webcam games. And then the pandemic hit. And I really started playing pre-modern, really getting into the monthlies, um, playing pickup games. Um yeah, that was about when things really started heating up for pre-modern. I think it's probably a common story. Uh, March 2020. Uh, I had actually registered for LobsterCon in, perf in person that month, 2020 March. And it got canceled because the world got uh, locked down. And so it was really fun two years later because I went to LobsterCon last year to actually make up for it and see everyone in person. That sounds amazing. And a story we have certainly heard uh, through time the coming back into it, uh, fa finding family and friends. Do you still have your cards? Let's play some games. And that's awesome. And 
when you found pre-modern, did you gravitate towards a particular style of deck, or were you kind of all over the place? Um, it was that I it's that T shape. I built a lot of decks, <clears throat> but there were some that I really loved. Um, so the first deck I started with was Survival Opposition because. When I was younger, that was a really cool deck. It was filled with really cool cards. Survival of the Fittest is incredible. Um, Tradewind Rider, still a very good card, albeit a bit slow. And so, uh, yeah, that, that was like my first one. I played that my first monthly. Or, yeah, I played a variant of Survival Opposition my first monthly. Did not do well. Uh, but, yeah, I've played all over the map. I played aggro, played control, played combo, prison. Um if I had my just way with it, I tend to gravitate towards combo and prison. But these days, I and I all just play pretty much anything. That that makes sense. So you got you got the bug pretty early. Let let's dive into LobsterCon because that's why we're here. So first off, yeah, absolutely. T- yeah, talk to me about that energy of the building. The well, not even well, let's not even start there. How did we land on goblins? What made you pick up? the mischievous little men um, for this event? That's a great question. So a few months ago, I narrowed down my decisions to about three decks that I was considering bringing. Uh, One is five color Terrigen, which is kind of similar to Parfait, but if you removed Oath and put in Meddling Mage and Werebear. So it's like Parfait with a win con. Um, (laughs) And... I'd play that in a lot of monthlies. It tends to do really well. Uh, it's just um, kind of matchup dependent. It's a mid-range deck, so you kind of have to know what you're going to face. And if you guess wrong, well, that's bad. Another deck I'd considered was Elves. Um, it's just a really good deck. I get to play Survival. I get to play Cradle. Uh, I get to play a lot of Magic with every game action. Or goblins. Uh, and goblins for me hits a really nice sweet spot of uh, familiarity, um, ease of play, and power level. Um, and so as I got closer and closer to the day, I really was uh, I was messaging a friend constantly saying, am I playing elves or am I playing goblins? Am I playing elves or playing goblins? As I got closer to the date, I realized um, if um, elves, it's too easy for me as a player being not super experienced with it to make a mistake and then like tilt out and lose my day and not lose to the opponent, but lose to myself, which is a really unsatisfying way to play magic and Mm. just like not a, not a, not a good day. And as much as I would love to play elves and play it really well, I'm like, I'd prefer to get more practice on that, feel more comfortable. So I don't punt. And I realized, Hey, goblins is for me. If I'm going to have to sit down and play eight hours of magic, um, this is really perfect for me. You can come back from being behind. You can quickly shut out the game and you, you have access to like tranquil domain. Like you're in a pretty good place against a lot of matchups. So I was, that's in the end, I landed on goblins. That's a pretty accurate assessment. I think of the deck. So as you were, once you made this decision, was there much, uh, testing with people locally or over a webcam getting ready going through gauntlets or, or was this a lot of I've played these matches it's theory crafting here's what I'm sure is going to come up where was that balance uh, 
it was pretty well balanced. So I'm in Seattle where we have a local game group through the Emerald City Trolls. And we also have a monthly uh, like Swiss event at Phoenix Comics and Games. And so I've been playing a bunch of both casual and competitive games with Goblins. Um, did okay at a, I think I think two one, it was only three rounds, but two one with goblins, uh, losing to madness. So I was like, okay, so that's like a weakness of both my play style and potentially like not seeing that matchup that often. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Playing in a lot of casual matches, just like having a good time against burn, um, with my current goblins iteration, which felt rare goblins, not always that well positioned against burn in a lot of people's minds. Um, being able to play around Oath effectively with Goblins in some testing matches felt really good. And then, obviously, talking with people, my brother, uh, Mike Arnold down in California, uh, who we tend to test with, uh, I tend to test with, and also in the Discord, just realizing, yeah, this is a pretty solid list. I liked um, uh, Hoip's list uh, from his monthly winning, but I wanted to make some tweaks, and yeah kind of came together uh, naturally. I love it. Um, and as I look at the list, I have it up here. Um, pretty pretty decently stocked list. Um, the one single sharpshooter main, I think, is a great addition that should be in all Goblin lists, but I don't see it a lot. Um, the mana base is a little bit of the different one. Um, mainly the... At least in my mind, it's the two city of brass, one moss fire valley. Yeah. How did you land on those? I really wanted to hit effectively twelve green mana sources in order to mm-hmm. cast naturalize on turn two. Um, that makes with sense. dread. Yeah, exactly. With dreadnought, with parfait out there, if I can cast naturalize on turn two or tranquil domain on turn two, in uh, as as happens, um, I feel in. A really good spot. Additionally, um, yeah, uh, I needed to stay high on red sources because you're trying to essentially curve out with a, mm-hmm. a couple really important double red cost spells. Uh, <laughs> uh, Warchief. And so, yeah, yeah. gotta keep high on the red sources. Uh, I The Mossfire Valley is just kind of more cute than good, but <laughs> it... it it's better than another city of brass versus say burn, but mm-hmm. like we're talking in the margins, Mer- burn is not <laughs> burn is getting you a little faster than your city of brass is killing you when you're playing goblins. That's a fair point to make fair point. So we get to, we get to lobster con, we get out there. Let, let's talk about matches. Let's talk about the Swiss. It yeah. was eight rounds of Swiss, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, take us kind of through your day. Um, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, but like kind of top, bottom, top to bottom, and um, any key moments, things you were thinking as the day was going along. Yeah, no worries. I have my uh, life pad from the day here, so <laughs> this will this will make fun. I, I don't take a ton of notes. I, I have some like play drawn a little bit about mulliganing, but uh-huh. I can at least tell you who I played and how many games. That sounds certainly. wonderful. Sure, let's, so, let's start it off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Round one, uh, I played uh, someone named uh, Isaac, who uh, was on Elves. Now, Elves is a matchup I was not afraid of. Uh, Goblins has a very good matchup. The sharpshooter you called out from before, the just uh, Mog Fanatic, very good in that matchup. Uh, I mean, eventually he lands Masticor, but you hope to go faster than that. And that's exactly what happened. Two games. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think uh, I I know one of them he mulliganed to five, and the other one I mulliganed to five. Uh, but I won both, so cool. And looking at the life totals, yeah, these these matches were over really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely a deck I was prepared for, so yep. I. I think that that makes sense. It, it's a deck you kind of had to prepare for for this event. Makes sense. All right. Uh, second round, um, a guy named Nate. I'm. I first clock his deck. Uh, the game. Um, back up. Three three games. Uh, I get there. Uh, I win games one uh, and three. So I lose game two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I clock him. He plays Anarid Brushhopper like game one. Oh, so uh, and like a five color mana base. So I'm like, is it, I'm, I'm in my notes. It's five color frog. Uh, I later ask him after the match, like, okay, so what do you call your deck? Uh, and it's a Lotus veil threshold. And this is kind of what happened in match two was he resolves chill winter orb engineered plague or game two uh, chill winter orb engineered plague. And I'm okay. I've lost, but yeah, let's play this ridiculous. out. You, you still need to beat me, but yeah, I've lost game two. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but game three, uh, I, I get there. Uh, I don't think he he swords he swords a few things, but he doesn't. Yeah, my notes. There's no damage on me by the end of the match. So, okay, uh, so we kind of ran yeah. through that matchup. All right. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Great guy. Uh, everyone at the whole event was amazing. So I'm really happy about that. And uh, I, I don't think anyone feels bad losing to goblins, which was, I'll be honest, like a, a second order reason to pick the deck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, third round, I play Manny on Replenish, and this is a deck I'm actually terrified of. Uh, graveyard combo can be faster than me. It's hard to interact with. Uh, like, Tormod's Crypt is real. Naturalize is obviously real here, but he can just win at instant speed, and I can't come back once he's achieved certain lock forms. Mm-hmm. Lucky for me, I do get there in three, though I lose game one. Uh, he combos off when he's at five life. Yeah, Classic. Indeed. But uh, I'm able to get uh, I win game two pretty quickly and I win game three pretty quickly, even on a multi five. And uh, I think part of that was uh, getting a Tormod's Crypt online nicely and living with naturalizes or tranquil domains in hand. It, if you can keep the pressure up, land a ringleader, uh, you'll probably end up winning the match. I, I, if I remember correctly, there was even some fun shenanigans in match uh, in the game three with um, Pile Driver. Uh, Siege Gang Commander, and he has a wave online. So he's trying to wave things as I'm sacrificing them and Siege Ganging them at his head. Mm. So it was this really fun last minute interaction where Pile Driver really paid off. Gotcha. Or not Pile Driver. Um, uh, Siege Gang? Uh, Skirk Prospect. Or Skirk, Skirk, Prospect. Skirk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. I will uh, highlight of the deck was three Skirk Prospector. Turns out really good. Um, so, yeah, that that is an yeah. argument I've been having for a long time with people I talk to that Skirk Prospector needs more than one copy in this deck. It does so many things. Yeah, um, we can talk about it at another point, but I you can go nuts with Sharpshooter, and that's why Sharpshooter lives in the main. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fourth match of the day is uh, Dreadnought. Now, game one, I... I think it's like lackey into something ridiculous and I just have like the perfect goblins opener. Mm-hmm. Um, he is cast opt and then he just concedes. Uh, so I think the idea is hide information for me, but in, in pre-modern what deck runs opt 
it's mono blue dreadnought. So Ooh. I just assumed he was on dreadnought and sided appropriately. He got me on game two, totally fine. Uh, he was prepared. And then game three, uh, I got there partially because of a really early goblin tinker. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, goblin tinker is not really the solution for the first dreadnought all the time, unless you get it out really quickly. But it can close down second through fourth dreadnoughts really, really well. Uh, your first okay. one, you really have to like naturalize or blue or BEB. But yeah, yep, that's love great. tinkerer would not cut it. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, next, uh, I think this is now round five. Yes, round five. Uh, Tim on another dreadnought deck. Uh, this one is blue red. Uh, so the fling knot variant. Um, mm-hmm. This one, uh, three games. Uh, I win games one and three. Uh, there was a lot of like I think game one is characterized was characterized by a lot of deck malfunction. Either he's mm. only drawing his burn and killing all my creatures, and I'm not drawing into like win instant effects uh, yeah, that yeah. can happen with goblins. So it goes a little long. Eventually, I just I'm chipping in for like three damage a turn and, and get there. It just right. takes you know seven turns um sure 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 he yeah he he gets to do a fun dreadnought fling on me uh game two really impressive always cool never gonna be mad at that um and then game three i get there i think it's another situation of where i keep drawing creatures and he runs out of removal and isn't drawing a dreadnought it's just Mm. not on time so that one ends up going pretty long uh, right. Round six, this is possibly my highlight of the entire thing, even more so than the top eight, is I get to play against my brother. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. James S- Smiths, yeah. Uh, I We are both 5-0 and o playing at table one, and he is on burn, and I am on goblins. So this is a matchup he and I have actually like tested a ton. Uh-huh. And we both know our current builds, goblins is favored. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're both pretty scared. Uh, we go into it. He win. He wins game one. Um, he just he's off the jump faster than me. Uh, totally fine. Game two, uh, I end up winning. I think this is an example of uh, he either got stuck on lands or um, wasn't drawing burn and was instead drawing creatures. And I can deal with creatures more efficiently than burn. Mm-hmm. And then game three. Uh, game three is where things got very real. I remember there was a moment, uh, essentially all our sideboard pieces for each other are three pyrokinesis of a piece. Mm-hmm. And he pyrokinesis is my board getting rid of like a lackey and something valuable, but he exiles a pyrokinesis as part of that. Cause he's holding on to burn to hopefully go face. Mm-hmm. He then plays um, ball lightning and another creature and swings and I pyrokinesis both of them. So he misses like seven damage off that. And that, that is a massive swing. And yes. because he lost a pyro, his second pyrokinesis. Yeah. I just was in a much better spot after that. And yeah, I end up now I'm sitting six and oh, I got to play my brother uh, sitting at table one. It was a really good time. Was there and, any uh, good natured brotherly like shenanigans that went on that match? A lot of joking. How, how, I, I'm an only child. I don't have brothers to play with. So how, how that had to be just fun. Yeah, it was just really fun. I remember James taking a picture of me during the match. He posted it on Facebook later. Um, everyone in Discord who was following along or in person was like, Brothers War, Brothers War. 
<laughs> sadly, we weren't on camera for this match. It would have been Aww. fun. James had just been on camera for his uh, previous round. And so mm-hmm. obviously they're trying to... Uh, I actually never ended up being on camera all day, which was kind of fun um, to dodge Aww. that. No, uh, I'm not a fan so of being goes. on camera. No, um, it would have been fun, but uh, okay. I would only look back on it and go like, oh, I made a mistake there. So <laughs> <laughs> There is some of that. That's true. That is true. Yeah, but that's how you get better. Yes, so. it is. Yes, it is. Cool. So uh, that's uh, the first six rounds. Uh, then I end up being able to ID out the next two. Uh, ID with Brian Selden. Um, big high five. Uh, that felt really good. Also meant I got to dodge having to play land still um, mm-hmm. in the Swiss. Felt good. Uh, and then entering round eight, uh, Cameron, who also made top eight on blue-white uh, Stifle Knot. Uh, he IDs with me. I know I'm locked for top eight. He's rolling the dice because there were a lot of like combination draws and just the way the matchups had ended up. The six and one pack was huge. Or the mm-hmm. 601 pack was just huge. So, um, but he made it. So I worked out his, his dice roll went well. And so I'm sitting 602. I only had to play Stifle Knot twice. I dodged Landstill and I dodged Parfait. So, so we're feeling pretty good heading into the uh, top eight. So did you, at this point, we're eight rounds and you had to play six of them. I mean, it has to feel nice also to ID those rounds to get your mental energy back, to get a breath exactly. in. That had, that had to have been such a good feeling. Yeah, I, being able to ID and, and rest felt good. It meant I played well, I, through gameplay purposes, earned a little bit of mental time. I drank a bunch of water. I had some like Fig Newton equivalent concept foods. Uh, it, it took some Advil to deal with a nascent headache. Um, that was really good. It was, uh, I felt refreshed entering into my top eight match. And I'll be honest, my goal entering into LobsterCon had been positive record. So I already had exceeded all of my requirements for the event. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that is awesome to hear. So we get into the top eight. Who was your top first top eight opponent? So my first and only top eight opponent was Lanny on Oath Parfait, a match I had dodged uh, the whole day. Uh, one I consider not an easy one. It's certainly hard. Uh, and I know from Lanny, he also considers the Oath versus Goblins match hard because we're just we're both pretty terrifying decks. This is true tier one fight happening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So take us, take us through this match. Cause this, from what it looked like and the little reporting that was going on on discord, it, it sounded like an epic match. Oh um, yeah. And I think Lanny <laughs> went into it on his perspective a little bit on his, in uh, uh Flores, this podcast. So I would love to yeah. hear your perspective on this matchup. And, the more details on this one that you can remember, the better, because I think this exemplifies high-caliber pre-modern magic. Yeah, uh, it certainly was um, a match to remember. I think, uh, I know Lanny at the time commented that was one of his best matches he've ever he's ever like been a part of, and I definitely felt like both of us were playing magic. I, by the end of it, so, match was two hours long. By the end of it, I'm exhausted and probably not playing perfectly, but we'll get there. Um, okay. So 
mostly because I also don't think there were many options for me to do anything. But okay, game <laughs> one, game one. This is um, <sighs> Goblins versus Oath Parfait. This is a match I have played this specific pairing not a ton. It was absent in my uh, just absent from my vocabulary, but I knew exactly what he was going to do, and I knew exactly what he was going to do. Uh, try to do against me. Uh, mm-hmm. Having been in the tax rack player's seat against goblins many times, I know the patterns he's about to do at me. That said, he's playing Oath instead of Pyroclasm. Um, but his Oath creates a Pyroclasm effect, so hooray. Um, mm-hmm. My hope is I'm going to Prospector, because Prospector is a way to jump back against Oath. My hope is Naturalizes. Game one, I have two in the deck. My, get one of those, deal with the Oath. Um, if neither of those happen, the goal is just go bigger and faster, which is probably goal number one, but really, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm on the play. Uh, I have the higher seed. I'm fourth. Uh, Lanny is fifth. Um, if I remember correctly, we sit at about 22 or 20 life. We end up at 22 all, hovering in that zone for about 45 minutes uh (laughs) between half hour and 45 minutes either i've attacked he's done damage um he gained a bit of life off of uh ancestors i think he got one ancestors chosen off not gaining a huge amount of life it's real tit for tat magic i'm just trying to stick on the board long enough to come out he lands naturalized i have to clean up my board the hope is to draw a bunch of like a war chief and some uh haste effects eventually he hits like 37 life i'll be honest the life gain isn't actually my fear goblins can quickly hit for 20 a turn Mm -hmm. um my fear is uh exactly what happened is we've been playing so long i've played out all the lands from my hand mostly because goblins is very mana hungry and my goal is to cast like eight to ten mana worth of spells in one turn and swing for the win mm-hmm. uh he armageddon's yeah um that'll do it and i'll just scoop to that um when we're that far deep in the match i'm like okay game one i'm not i'm not favored um let's or not i'm not in a great plot space game one let's go to game two mm-hmm. game two this one's I, I had a good time let's put it that way this is an example of uh, I bring in two naturalized, two tranquil domain, two Tormod's crypts. Uh, I don't think I bring in the king. Uh, we'll talk about that later, but king, generally, I'm not a fan of. Also against oath, king is medium at best. Um, so I'm very prepared. I am trying to mulligan to having a naturalized or a tranquil in hand game one. Or uh, in, in, in my hand for game two. Uh, I'm on the play again. And based on my notes, this is kind of what happens he doesn't get much life gain off. I land a, uh, a lackey probably, or some other one drop. Um, he plays oath. I naturalize it. Or he uh, actually, I think he didn't have the oath in his opener. I remember naturalizing a uh, scroll rack. I think I either tranquil domain or naturalized a, another oath. And he just kind of flounders. This happens sometimes with uh, parfait when it doesn't have um, mock starts. Mm-hmm. Um it can't play under itself like it's really trying to. So it just is kind of grasping at straws. Uh, if you can't get a draw engine going, sometimes naturalizing the turn one land tax is all you need to win uh, versus parfait or other tax rack decks. And this is an example of that happening. Lackey, Lackey turns into probably Warchief or Ringleader. Uh, really loving Ringleader after that weekend. 
um, fill hand, swing, lather, rinse, repeat. Yeah, I'm hitting for four, four, and then I'm hitting for like eight. Mm -hmm. um, so that that was a me playing exactly where I needed to be. Most of my life lost that match is uh, pain lands. Uh, I think he got one swords off, maybe two the whole time. I think he swords to Lackey and he swords to Warchief, which are both completely reasonable swords mm -hmm. targets. Um, but I'm able to get there, and because it's goblins, it goes pretty quickly. We're now entering, like, I think we're about an hour, hour 15 in. Mm -hmm. And then game three happens. And game three is, uh, I think, the longest game of Magic I've ever played. Um, uh, it was ridiculous. Based on my notes, we both lived at 17 life for about 45 minutes before really anything kind of started happening. Uh, I did get him to eight uh, life by the end, but and then he kind of locked out. Essentially, I keep a hand that has Lackey, Mog Fanatic, um, Tormod's Crypt, and a Tranquil Domain. This is a great, great hand. That Lackey, it's going to hit, but not do anything. It's kind of the one worry, and I'll be honest, that's kind of what happened. I land Lackey, he plays land tax. Um, I'm like, okay, I don't care about land tax. Uh, turn two, uh, I play a second land no, okay. Back up. Mm -hmm. He goes first. He goes turn one, land tax. I'm like, cool. I go turn one, um, lackey. His turn two, he plays an oath. My turn two, tranquil domain, getting the land tax and the oath. This is a beautiful feeling. This is exactly what I'm trying to do. Uh, getting the two for one value off the tranquil feels even better. Um, mm -hmm. This is amazing. Swing with lackey. Um, well, I didn't draw another goblin, so the lackey puts out a Mog Fanatic. Mm -hmm. This sucks. Um, he then e-tutors for another oath. Okay, I can handle another oath. Uh, oath hits the play. I draw, I think I, that, I think I drew a naturalize, and then I naturalize the second oath. Swing, I don't have a goblin in hand. Goblin lackey does nothing. Cool, Mog Fanatic and Goblin lackey hit. That's all my creatures. He then plays another Enlightened Tutor and gets an Oath. And now I no longer can stop Oath. Uh, I have the probability of drawing another um, enchantment removal effect is pretty low. I've used two. Um, and uh, I don't have big goblins online, so I can't go over the top. Mm -hmm. I'm really afraid of uh, Phoenix. Uh, and um, I, at this point, I did not know about the Acroma in the board, and we'll get there later, but essentially I'm like, oh, life gain creature? I can kind of handle life gain creature. So maybe I can play into Oath later. Uh, his second oath, his third Oath sticks. I Mog Fanatic my lackey, so, because I don't want to... I just... If he gets an Oath trigger, I am so far behind, um, mm -hmm. just in terms of what's going on in front of me. Mm -hmm. So instead, I just start drawing cards... I land a Rashad in port, mess up his mana a little bit. We just kind of go back and forth, me doing very little, maybe playing um, uh, a Warchief or a Ringleader to both fill my hand and try and get some life, uh, some pressure online. That creature probably ends up getting kill, uh, swords or mm. otherwise killed, uh, otherwise killed, or I just don't play into it. Mm -hmm. Um the match just kind of keeps going on because he can't figure out a way to beat me partially because he just, ha I'm not giving him oath triggers. So he needs to build up to cast something that can win along the way though. He lands a second land tax. He lands two scroll racks. He lands an engineered plague. 
And uh, I think there might have been a no, just just the one oath. And so at this play, this point, he has assembled not a lock, but just an extremely hostile board state. Only toughness two creatures come out. He gets a cop red online. I'm just this is miserable. However, I know we're not timed, and I have one out. If I draw tranquil domain, I win. <laughs> um, so I'm like, how many turns do I have? in this game before he wins. And if we get along the way, if he taps out or almost taps out, can I alpha strike and mm -hmm. kill him? And so that's kind of my plan is I'm just watching his mana. My Rashadon port isn't doing a ton. I probably could have done it more. I'm playing a land every turn uh, because I am flooding badly that mm -hmm. entire match, which was really, or that game, which was partially the why the lackey start with the Tranquil Domain didn't mean I won. It's because I only draw lands. <laughs> or when yeah, I was drawing uh, non-lands, it was so so late in the match. Mm -hmm. So I do get him down to 8 life. I'm sitting at like 19. He taps down and only has two sources up. I have a Warchief and a Ringleader in hand. And I'm thinking about the math. I'm thinking about like how many land, how many lands are left in my deck, how many non lands are left in my deck. Ringleaders suddenly kind of risky because I still have a crypt online. Ringleaders risky because if he, if I reveal the tranquil domain, well, that's the match because uh, that's going to the bottom. Uh, yeah. One highlight along the way, that crypt did get a ton of value. He goes to Argivian find for a Zern orb. I think he's gotten just played every spell. There's a shard Phoenix in the graveyard. Um, I mean, he might've gotten one oath activation at this point. And I'm able to pull his Zurin orb, his ivory tower, his fire ice, a mana leak, the, the Phoenix. This is like a 30 card Tormod's crypt. It's beautiful. However, I didn't get his guy's blessings and I only got one of his um, oath creatures. So cool. Tormod's crypt is amazing versus oath, but um, I'm still on the back foot because he has engineered plague in play and his other oath creature and his library is still infinite. Anyway, back to, he has two mana open. I play Warchief. I play ringleader. Cool. Ringleader flops. I think it reveals a pile driver is most of the meaningfulness. Maybe a no Mog fanatics, Mog fanatics. Cause there's a joke that comes up later on about Mog fanatics, but Mog Fanatics, cool. This is not the hand that wins me the game. Mog Fanatics can't enter the battlefield. Pile Driver, cool. I play Pile Driver. Um, he proceeds to Swords the Warchief and Swords the Pile Driver. So the ringleader is just sitting there. And I'm like, well, I did get you down to almost. <laughs> you are fully tapped out, but boy, this is a failed alpha strike. Not a good flop. Not a good time. Um, the ringleader is still online. So this flips and it reveals a chroma. I did not know there was an Akroma in the board. Um, I was mm. expecting lifelink. I was expecting the life gain creature. The Neshoba um, or the Ancestors or in Neshoba, Chosen. Ancestors Chosen. Um, I, cause I remember there was a fun moment that I forgot to tell earlier, but Ancestors Chosen, I go to Gem Palmit and he swords is in response. And I'm like, swords is one of my goblins in response. Oh, well, I can't kill your chosen. Um, yeah. But, uh, Game three, yeah, he reveals a chroma. I'm like, ah, I'm so far behind. Sometimes a chroma can, uh, sometimes goblins can go over a chroma just in terms of volume, the green mm -hmm. hordes, but not today. Um, he hits, I, I'm at 19 life, so he can hit me uh, 
four times before I lose. So I'm okay. I have four draws. We're going to play this out. Uh, draw land. Draw mm-hmm. Mog Fanatic. He duresses me at some point. I reveal three Mog Fanatics um, into his Engineered Plague. They're just these, these do nothing. These are not cards. I am drawing dead. Uh, mm. He swings again with the Acroma, and then uh, he casts Arm again. So I've lost all my lands, probably about 12 lands total at this point. And I'm like, I, he has one more hit on me. I'm not going to be able to get enough mana to both get to, I'm not going to get two mana and be able to Tranquil Domain in the same turn. Yeah. Cool. I now have to, yeah, I have to draw three cards in one card. That's not going to happen. I concede. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing match. Two hours long. Uh, there's arguably, I could have kept more lands in my hand. My argument was, I need to be able to cast every creature in my hand simultaneously. So there's a little bit of like, would the tighter play have been try anticipate the Armageddon, hold off mana, but with the Acroma Clock, I don't know. I, I think game three, if I hadn't been as flooded, I would have been feeling happier, obviously. But if mm-hmm. I had kept some of those ba- some of those basics in hand, um, I might not have had to scoop when I did or play as aggressively when I tried to attack with uh, into his cop red mm-hmm. uh, when he was tapped low. But I'll be honest, I was on such a back foot after about 45 minutes into that match that uh, there was a little bit of trying to play for desperation, trying to play for angles uh, to just see if I could make him make a mistake. And Lanny, Lanny was not making a mistake that day. It was amazing. He played, he played so well. I, I was just really happy to be there and, if that was my only match against Parfait for the day, I think that was my favorite match. Uh, I think that was my favorite just awesome. experience. That yeah. that sounds amazing. So we, we, we talk about experience. Um, Just talk about the atmosphere at LobsterCon, the, the stories, the go maybe going out after, all the stuff. Like just to let the experience of LobsterCon itself, what can you tell people who have not had a chance to go uh, and things that maybe they can look forward to about this event. Yeah, this was my second lobster con. I went uh, last year. Uh, I always, uh, I love, I really love the experience. I, I characterize it as I know most of the people who are there, but I only know them by their hands and their playmat. And so this is an opportunity to put a face, to put a height to a lot of people I know entirely through the internet, and that's really special, especially. Last year's, the 2022 one, the post-lockdown uh, experience of just like, this is the first big event. Now, this time, this was even more intense because we got a huge group. We uh, not doubled size, but added another third on top. Um, even more people are coming. My brother's coming. Uh, the uh, the first time jitters are off, people are, are really prepared to play uh, in addition to seeing everyone. Um, really positive atmosphere the whole time. Uh, I think entering in on the day, everyone is just happy to be here. Uh, ha- uh, um, happy to play magic in person. Uh, the whole it's it's magic is about the gathering uh, is the most important part of the experience. And, and that's really true. You get to be around people, you know, pe- people you like, people who are your friends. And as the day goes through the game, it's, as the matches progress through the day, you get to go up to people and go, hey, how's it going? And they'll tell you your, their record, but you can also be like, how you feeling? 
Um, and just because sometimes your record isn't exactly how you're doing emotionally. Um, uh, I remember in 2022, I lost my first three matches and I was just like, okay, I'm going to be the avatar of hope today and, uh, try and (laughs) try and bring it, but, and try to not be the avatar of woe. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that, that was really special about 2022. This time it was a lot of like, how am I doing this? I, I obviously like I was prepared. I got lucky pairings. Um, the deck behaved, but at the same time, I'm like, this is a really good day. Everyone's really happy to be around. No one's mad at me for beating them because goblins is a pretty honest deck. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was a really positive experience. A lot of people I know from all over the country, um, they're, and, and that really good, like, on-site bar. I did not drink much that first day, partially to, like, be a very aware of playing. I said to myself, if I lose two matches, then I can have a beer. But uh, that did not happen. <laughs> so uh, ended up drinking after you... the... But There it is. Yeah. That's what we like to hear. So yeah. it, it sounded amazing. Um, I'm really hoping to get there the next time. So speaking of goblins... Yes, with the rise now of we we saw a couple things uh blue white control has now firmly put its foot back uh yeah we're back to like 2020 between, yeah yeah it's it's coming back with some changes with some updates blue yes. white a historically rougher ish matchup for goblins yes um we also have seen again the not the rise but the reassertion of the stifle knot strategy yes. uh placing things back and now we've seen parfait while piloted well and making the top eight not the dominating performance that we were thinking of and especially not now with um blue white and also uh stifle knot kind of yeah. coming in where does Goblins, in your opinion, go from here? Because those are one pretty tough matchup and one matchup that can be 50-50, depending on skill level and draw. How how do we feel Goblins goes forward ahead? So um, I'm not, a, as a Goblins pilot, I'm not afraid of, I'm not super afraid of Stifle Knot. You can beat Stifle Knot. Mm-hmm. Um Tinkerer is the secret to the lock. Like they now have to deal with it. Uh, they have to destroy it instead of dealing with however you're going to actually kill their dreadnought. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, it's a very frustrating deal with target. Um, so in general, my experience with dreadnought, not super afraid. That said, having the two main naturalizes, having the two naturalizes in the board, having three uh, um, REB effects, all very good for locking it up. Mm-hmm. You still got to play tight. You still got to get lucky, obviously. But I'm not afraid. I beat Stifle Knot twice on the day, and I've beaten it um, before. Uh, so uh, not terrified of that. Land still, um, I think, uh, obviously, your fears are Cop Red, Warmth, not as much as Cop Red, uh, Humility, but you can, you're can you still playing creatures, so they still actually have to deal with creatures. Uh, Wrath of God, obviously very good. And swords, but swords is everywhere. Um, so I think that one's tougher. That said, Trichal Domain, really good. Um, and that's where a lot of my thinking is maybe a third Trichal Domain or a Hull Breach um, over like one of the Goblin Kings uh, to help increase your ability to deal with Cop Red or just like 
the number of ways you have to force them to use their removal effects or their, uh, um, pardon me, um, counter spells. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're essentially goblins is, I think at that point, just trying to exhaust them, make them have it. Are they going to counter your goblins or are they going to swords your goblins? Or are they going to, cause they can't swords a naturalize. <laughs> so um, it makes them have to make very awkward decisions. Their red, ele- their blue elemental blasts are not good against naturalized or tranquil domain. So there's a lot of just you make them have it a little bit harder in game two and game three. That said, I think it's still it is a really tough matchup. Um, I yeah, but it's a very honest one. It's a classic one to pre-modern. I I have lost. I have won that matchup, and I'm always having a good time. I, I think it's a it's a pretty fun one. Uh, and both matches are example because they're both ca- heavy counter magic. It's it's really that example of uh, you kind of have to make them have it. You have to be able to kind of read their hand nicely, count their mana, make sure they aren't going to foil you when you really don't want them to. Don't walk into the daze if you can help it. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes you got to make them have it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a it. Triangle Domain is really good in, in Landstill. Naturalize is really good. And Tinkerer are really good against Stifalon. Love it. So what, if any changes, if you were to... If there was LobsterCon 2024 was tomorrow, yeah. what changes may you make to the deck or things you would do differently? Or is this the deck to go with as is? Um, I would make a couple changes. Um, sure. I did not bring in Goblin King the entire event. Um, okay. And I had two Goblin Kings on my list. And I there are arguments, obviously, for one Goblin King in the situation. Uh, engineered Plague. Or maybe... Uh, I The Mountain Walk route is not one I'd... Like, against Burn, I'm not bringing in King. They're just going to kill King or kill you faster than King, who doesn't have haste. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really the big flex slot. I'm like, at least one of those Kings could become a third Tormod script because graveyard based combo is really hard for goblins to deal with. Um, if on a good day, um, and a third tranquil domain, because being able to kill oath and engineered plague in, uh, in a single card that catches, that just is a many for one. Amazing. Um, a hull breach, similar to a Tranquil Domain, but particularly good against Parfait or other Tax Rack decks, um, of intermediate to low utility against Landstill, especially if they're on Powder Kegs, because mm-hmm. you get their Powder Keg and a Humility, that feels pretty good, or Powder Keg and a Cop Red, that feels even better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really where my thinking is. There needs to... Uh, I would, I almost would cut both Kings, but I'm hesitant to go that far. Uh, but yeah, I, mean, I think that's... you can cut at least a king, probably both at this point. Yeah, um, goblins much different than obviously elves in the way it interacts yeah. with plague, right? Because a lot of your important goblins are X two, so exactly, and that's actually, why king is it's just medium, yeah, right, exactly. And then t- a lot of times when they're killing your king, it's usually a plague effect a pyroclasm effect so they're still getting all your goblins anyway um, exactly and and so you'd rather have just an answer to the the plague or an answer to mm-hmm. an oath that's actually actually what's killing you and not um just buffing your board buffing your board feels weak when they get to keep their their threat or their um debuff effect 
Uh, so one card that, um, and I love goblins. I I enjoy the other red spice for myself, but I enjoy playing goblins too. That I always try to advocate for. So I want to get your opinion on is uh, goblin pyromancer is oh I think a very <laughs> yeah. under underrated card, especially if you're going to play three skirk prospectors where you can sack it so you don't Go actually nuts. use all yeah. your goblins. Um. I don't know what what's your opinion as a person with more practical experiences on that card. I have found it to be an amazing one of in lists. Uh, I've never played it. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, generally, mm-hmm. uh, I just I haven't tried it with three prospector. I think um, there's obviously something I've talked about is sometimes goblins just want to win in one turn, play all your every card from your hand at once and attack. Um, and Pyromancer definitely plays into that world. I think with a Prospector and a, and a CGI, and you can go nuts with that. To be honest, I actually prefer a Sharpshooter for that. Um, I okay. think uh, for... I, I've <laughs> In one of my testing matches, um, I had a very fun experience of doing 20 damage to burn in one turn while I was at one life um, <laughs> off of uh, Prospector plus Sharpshooter shenanigans. Um, and mm. so you, you can accomplish a lot of the same tasks cause you're still dumping your whole hand and that's mm-hmm. like, you now have like maybe between six to 10 goblins online and that's like, at least you can attack with half of that at least probably some of that is, uh, and then with a siege gang, you can just start making lots of different types of damage, making death triggers to tap your sharpshooter and go nuts I, that said, I would definitely try it. I think that could be really fun. Uh, something you m- probably noticed from my list is I cut a lot of the one ofs from the main, mm-hmm. uh, partially f- to like focus on how do I guarantee I win, um, or mm-hmm. wh- what are the cards that like make me win versus what are cute. Um, like Tinker, exactly. really good Stream- card. I, yeah, just streamlining. Yeah, exactly. I I like it. Um, so. Overall, an amazing experience, it sounds like, at LobsterCon. An amazing finish, keeping the Goblin name strong. Um, any final words on LobsterCon at all that you want to share? On It's your, it's your floor for this particular part. Um, LobsterCon was an amazing event. Jared and uh, DFB run an incredible show. The venue is kind of kooky, the Dante Alighieri Society. Um, but we all fit, which was amazing. I love being able to get 180 plus people together from all over the world to play magic, um, where everyone is generally pretty like, okay, that it was definitely a room of some of the most competitive magic I've ever played in my entire life, but everyone was very friendly about it. There Mm -hmm. wasn't, um, all the stereotypes you might know from older competitive magic experiences from like SCG or GP grinding. Uh, that's not what's here. (laughs) Uh, these are retired spikes Uh, so people are still playing real hard but they aren't like um, angle shooting which feels really like this is magic the competitive magic the way we all wish it was Um, I really encourage people to come uh, register early uh, book your hotel room early uh, and build excitement because I think uh, events like this are really important. I run local or I help organize local events and have run uh, like 24 person tournaments out here in Seattle. 
Uh, I know the people who do down in California, but nothing really hits the the size of LobsterCon. I know you all out in Misty Mountain are running some larger events too. And I think those are really important. I, community is the key. Showing up is really, is how you keep community going. Um, LobsterCon was a really lovely time. I'll, I'll be back next year. Uh, and my goal is to have a positive record. That sounds awesome. So before we go... Uh, ask everybody about this. I'm getting better about reminding or telling them before they come on, but most overrated card in pre-modern, most underrated card in pre-modern, and a card that has to be broken or needs to be broken as soon as possible. Oh. Yeah, so I thought about this uh, a lot. I definitely have some thoughts on underrated cards or cards that used to be considered, uh, used to be underrated. Uh, I this might be the time for defense grid to come back. Uh, okay. If people are afraid of counter magic. Um, uh, I love defense grid. It's another one of, it's a sideboard card that can go in a lot more decks than people think. Uh, definitely can't go in like stifle out or blue, uh, blue white, obviously, but it can go mm-hmm. in. Uh, um, I mean, you could put it in goblins. That would be interesting, but I don't know why you would, but you could, but it doesn't affect the board. So that don't put it in goblins. <laughs> But uh, it's an interesting opportunity. There used to be a time when Pyroclasm was cons- was not the best card ever, and now it's a mandatory sand- sideboard include. So cards go in cycles. Um, I'm trying to think, like, <sighs> underrated or overrated and underrated. That's a tough one. Um, I think Sphere of Resistance is underrated. Okay. Um, uh, probably... The, the one I'll just make a call on. Uh, it's really good against Dreadnought. It's really good against Parfait. Uh, I think one of the biggest issues is what deck can run Sphere and not lose to either of those decks if it doesn't get the Sphere online. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just really hard because Mud decks are in just a really hard place because we're a main deck disenchant format. So, yep, yep. Yeah, it's, it's hard to tangle wire lock anyone. Uh, that's like why Goblin Welder just feels not so good. Um, yeah. It also dies to Lava Dart real good. Exactly. That's just kind of all the, the fun cards. Uh, I Like, I used to play Devourer combo a lot, and Devourer is in a horrible place right now, just like straight <laughs> Devourer combo. It's not... Uh, you can play it, you can win, you can have a great time with it, but I think it just there's so much hate that it just naturally cuts that deck out. It cuts its legs out from under it. Um, okay, yeah. But I, I have a tough time really assigning what an overrated card is in pre-modern right now. Um, mm-hmm. People, I mean, people are mad about certain cards, but I think that's just magic players. So, uh, <laughs> which we can. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. So I, I hesitate to say anything overrated, but I would definitely uh, say Sphere is probably an, uh, underrepresented in, in the meta currently. Okay. And then what is a card that needs to be broken that you wish to be broken? Uh, what's, what's, what's that card? Oh, man. So, I'll, I'll, like classics to point to, or something like Cadaverous Bloom or Squandered Resources, which mm-hmm. are like extremely powerful engines that can't find a home. I loved. Uh, I think it was a Dutchman or someone from Europe uh, a year plus ago was playing Enchantress, splashing black for Cadaverous Bloom, and I thought that was beautiful because Enchantress it runs out of mana that's its mm-hmm. biggest problem it uh, like sphere is very good against enchantress because enchantress is 
casting one mana spells. It's a storm deck, but with permanence. And mm-hmm. Bloom let you keep going because your hand is full. Like you've drawn 14 cards, but you get stuck on mana. And I was like, Cadaver's Bloom and Enchantress, beautiful. Enchantress, probably a deck we like. A, a deck we should be seeing more of considering it is so good. It is just so complicated and definitely can go to time. So Cadaver's Bloom, I'd love to see Cadaver's Bloom or Squandered Resources ruining my day. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right, Peter. Well, that is all I have for the day. Um, I wanted to say thank you so very much for coming on the podcast. It sounds like an amazing experience at LobsterCon, an amazing run. And I cannot wait to see what you do the next time your name pops up. I'm looking forward to it. No worries. Thanks, Will. This was really fun to be here. Uh, I hope to see you at the next LobsterCon. I will be very afraid of whatever you bring, uh, but really looking forward to facing it. (laughs) Sounds wonderful. All right, Peter. Thank you so much again to everybody listening. Thank you all for your support and listening. Make sure you check out this podcast on Spotify. Make sure you check out all the other amazing podcasts. Pre-Modcast has content coming for you. All Things Considered, Monster of the Week, The Spike Colony, uh, the new podcast with Lanny and Mike Flores. There is so much content to be consumed, and this format is continuing to grow. The hype is real. The players are the best. And no, this format is not solved. Don't let anyone ever tell you that. My name is Will. It's been a pleasure, and we'll talk to you all later.